Well, dear friends, I firstly would like to draw your attention to those words that I read in the Old Testament, there in the prophet Isaiah in the 61st chapter. I read just uh, some three verses there, and I want to consider a little phrase that is found there, and also what we read in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read once again verses 1 to 3 of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I don't know if you noticed, but as we read these three verses here, one of the main themes, of course, is not only the Lord, and here really it is speaking of the Savior to come into the world, but of the spirit of his people, what they would be like. The word mourned is mentioned at least three times in these verses. Firstly, to comfort all that mourn, and to give them, then secondly, the oil of joy for mourning. And then you notice further on, the morning. These people are a truly a morning people. And I want to take up that subject here this evening, that the Lord's people are a morning people. And I want you to ask the question, maybe you are asking yourself, am I a Christian? Am I saved? Do I have this morning? What is morning? What is biblical morning? What, is it, what does it really mean? Well, it's important because as you notice with me, if we turn back to that second reading that I gave to you in your hearing, there in the Gospel of Matthew, and the fifth chapter, there the Lord is gathered together, not only the disciples, but perhaps others around him, and he's declaring here in these Beatitudes what the spirit of his people are like. And there are at least eight characteristics, we call them Beatuses, or divine blessings, things that are characteristic of all those who are Christians, all those who are true kingdom members. And he says in the verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. And you notice there are these blessings pronounced upon these people. They're not eight different kinds of people, but they are the people of God. And these are descriptive words of all that they are. Firstly, poor in spirit. That is, they, they don't feel themselves to be much. They have been smitten in their hearts. Now when we come back to Isaiah 61, you don't have to turn there, but the fulfillment of those verses really is in the Lord Jesus. We read there of the year of vengeance. My friends, the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. That year A.D. 33 was a year of vengeance. 
Because God's vengeance fell upon Christ. It was God's wrath that was poured. His divine wrath that was poured upon his Son. And it is through a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that God's people are comforted through a true knowledge of what he did for them. Through a true knowledge of their sins. You've got to firstly know your sins, my friends, before you can ever begin to enter into understanding why the Savior had to come into the world. You have to have a knowledge, a conscious awareness of of not only your sins, but who God is. God who cannot countenance sin had to deal with the sin of his people there in Jesus Christ. But I say these words, we have absolutely no doubt whatsoever. The New Testament is patently clear that Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 4 and the verse 14. I know I've preached on this several times, but I want to bring out this theme again tonight and to speak about what it really is to mourn. And what is it that Christians mourn about? And maybe those of you who don't know the Savior, I want to discomfort you in your sin, if I may, by God's help. I can't do it, but God alone can smite the heart. And that has been my prayer all week. God would bring you to mourn. God would bring you to confess that God would make you poor in spirit by the grace of His Spirit. Now you notice, when our Lord Jesus Christ began to preach in Galilee, because that's the setting of Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. Well, He has been, has He not been tempted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights? And here was one who resisted Satan, And who said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here was one who was holy, perfect in all of his ways, and who resisted Satan, who resisted temptation. Well, as he returned, we notice in verse 14, in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And by the way, here's the text that we read from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance unto the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. It's another way of speaking of those that mourn, they feel, they bruised inside. They feel broken in spirit to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them 
that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. My, that was a startling claim. He says, This scripture that has been written at least 700 years by the prophet Isaiah has been fulfilled today. In this year, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. He came forth into this world. Scripture says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. When God had decreed from all eternity past that even Herod should be born and Herod should try to resist this one, it was decreed everything that was taking place, even the very king, Herod, and Pontius Pilate and all of them were all decreed to be alive and living. And everybody on the scene at this particular time was, everyone was predetermined to be there. And the very voices that would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. All of them were determined. God knew from all eternity and had planned the way of salvation that God would make through his dear son, the Lord Jesus, that he would lay down his life for his people and that he would take it up again and that he would preach the gospel, the gospel, of course, which is in his name. It is called the gospel of Christ because, my friends, he is the good news. When the apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation, to all who believe. And then he says, why it is the power? Because the righteousness of God is revealed herein, in this gospel. And he goes on to say what that righteousness is. He says it's the righteousness of God's dear Son. And my friends, he gives to all who believe the imputed righteousness of his dear Son. And to all who believe upon him, they can be assured most wholeheartedly, that he laid down his life for them. Most wholeheartedly. And that is the comfort. But here is where the rubber hits the road. What is the spirit of such people? You see? It's all very well saying this is what they believe. But my friends, I want to know what's in their heart. And I want to know what's in the heart of somebody that truly believes. And only you can know that. I can't know that. I might see the outward signs. I might see tears flowing from the eyes. But I I can assure you, I've preached from this pulpit many a year. And I have seen people's faces streaming with tears. And yet I've seen them no more. I've seen them vanish into the wilderness of this world because they had a mere prick of conscience. And they went away sad like the rich young ruler. Remember how he came to the Lord and said, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? He couldn't do it. 
Because that man valued this world and all of his goods more than he loved God. He loved his sin and he loved his heart, his sinful heart. He wasn't somebody that mourned. He wasn't somebody who really saw the Lord Jesus for what he was. He saw him simply as a good teacher, but not as God, who commanded him, go and sell your goods. And when the Lord saves, the Christian obeys what God has to say. But there's also this mourning of heart that I want us to speak about, and which really is reflected there in that 61st chapter of Isaiah. And you notice with me as we turn there, just a few things, and then I want us to think about what this morning is. It's going to be simple this evening, I trust. And uh, those who do not have the Lord Jesus, you, I pray God will awaken you and bring you to see what it is to mourn those of us who are Christians. Oh, well, maybe we don't mourn as much as we ought to. But I pray that this will also be a comfort. Because, you know, the Bible tells us better to be in the house of mourning than to be in the house of myrrh or laughter. Mourning is not a bad thing. And some of you might say, well, this is uh, rather a marvelous uh, topic to begin with. And I'm being uh, contradictory here on a New Year's Day. Uh, but friends, let me say to you, this is the best thing we can do. To look inwardly and to have a right understanding of our own hearts before God. And to really mourn before God because we are told, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Did we not read that in Matthew chapter 5? Yes. Well, here the Lord in this chapter says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. And uh, if we turn back there to Isaiah, and you notice just a few things as we come to that passage, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Now, first of all, let's begin with that word meek. Well, we find it, don't we? In the Beatitudes, it's quite striking, isn't it? That it's there, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. What is a meek person? A meek person who says, well, my friend, I understand what the Bible says about me, that I am a great and unworthy sinner. And you see, the meek is, is not a weak person. But he's meek in the sense that when sin is pointed out in his or her life, they don't put the barriers up, do they? They don't shut down and they don't shut people down. Let me ask you the question. Are you somebody that shuts down when the Word of God comes to you? You shut down the barriers. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. You see, God is very gracious to his people, the meek. 
Well, there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's not just the earth that they will inherit. But these are truly God's people. Now, again, what is it to be meek? To be meek is somebody that is the opposite of proud. Now, you think for a moment of Moses. We are told that he was the meekest man in all of the earth. And there was uh, his brother Aaron and Miriam, and they were murmuring behind his back. They were complaining against him, speaking ill. Because we are told they were rather envious. Because he was the leader, wasn't he? As Moses led them out of the wilderness, and as he led them, and uh, where they thought that he had arrogated all of this uh, power to himself, and they became envious. Why not us? And then even when, I suppose, if Moses had done something wrong, how meek he was. Remember how when Moses struck the rock twice, and he was only meant to strike it once, the first time he struck it once, didn't he? And water flowed from the rock, and that rock was Christ, but when he struck it down twice, he didn't say to God, ah, but I've been so faithful all these years. Look at me. I've been very faithful in leading God's people out. God said to him, Moses, you cannot enter the promised land. I don't find Moses arguing. Do you? I don't find him arguing and bickering with God. Moses understood what he deserved. He was a meek man. And even when criticized by his siblings, particularly Miriam, and we know that Miriam was struck with leprosy, and Aaron ought to have corrected her, Moses was meek. And you see, the meek person, let me say, is this. The meek person is somebody who has a humble attitude of themselves. When other people point out sin in their lives, they're not porcupinish, if you like. They don't start pricking, do they? You know, you can't get very near a porcupine until it pricks you. The meek are very humble. When they say somebody exposes sin in their life, you say, they say something like this, well, you, you're very right. And uh, they begin to look more inwardly. They don't start to shoot arrows at people, do they? And draw swords, as it were, so to speak, metaphorically. But what do they do? They begin to look more into their hearts and they realize you know, this person only knows the half about me. This person only knows a little bit. And if they knew more, they would say far worse things and they thank God that other people don't know all the sin about them. And they don't think well of themselves. They think that others, indeed, are better than them. And they often will say, you know, I don't know what I would do if I was in his shoes or her shoes. I don't know how I would cope with that situation. They're very inward looking. And they don't esteem themselves highly as this world does. Well, blessed are the meek. And you notice, the Spirit of the God is upon me because the Lord hath appointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. You see, it's only really the meek that will hear the gospel. Hear me now. The proud will not hear. You see, 
Not of being meek. Being meek is being born again. And those who are born again will receive the truth. The proud. I say, what, what is the gospel? But the Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord hath appointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. It's the gospel. We read it much later as well. It is the gospel. And uh, Christ came with that good tidings. Remember what he said, repent and believe ye the gospel. Well, sinners, they don't want to repent. Say, say things like this, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as other people in this world. There are other people. They've done terrible things. And I think they need to repent before I do. But you see, when the sinner is confronted with God, it's like this. It's like they're confronted with a freight train head on. I mean head on. When you are confronted with God, it's like you're coming head on with a freight train and you're going to be, as it were, run over. And there's no hope. And you realize you're dead in the road, as it were. God is going to stop you dead in your tracks in your sin. And you have nowhere to hide. You see, the meek have a realization that God is high. That God is holy in the heavens. And that he is completely separated from sinners. And when they understand who the Lord Jesus is, they are, they are simply amazed that Almighty God the Father would send His Son into such a sinful and undeserving world as this. And how, how can I despise Christ? They're meek. And they hear the gospel and they believe. Why? Because you go back to Matthew Chapter 5, verse 3, it begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. And you see, the, the, the poor in spirit are therefore meek. They see themselves as nothings, as nobodies. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And, and it's interesting, we'll, we'll turn back there just for a moment. In Matthew chapter 5, you notice the order. The order is specific and it's clear. One, as it were, grace flows to another. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where it begins. God changes the spirit of a man. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. You see, they mourn precisely because they're poor in spirit. And then blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. And then these meek, well, what are they like? They hunger and they thirst for righteousness. Well, they mourn over their sin. And I want to... I said I'll speak about what this morning means. And in the first place, this morning, and the Lord says here, He will comfort them that mourn. They firstly mourn because God has been grieved at their sin. And we must always begin there. That's where the true believer begins. He doesn't mourn because of the consequence of sin. Oh, my sin has separated me from God. That's not where he begins. But because he has grieved 
a holy God? I want to ask that question. Do we have that sense in us? Do we mourn? Because God has been grieved at our sin. You know, when Daniel prayed for the nation, that was his great burden. That the nation would be burdened over their sin. And that's, that's the thing, isn't it? We agree that God is grieved at the acridness or the vileness. You know, Paul, and uh, not only Paul, but we read in the Psalms that there are many descriptions of sin. And one of them is iniquity, which means filthiness. God is odious. Sin is odious to God. Do, do, do we realize that? That our sin is a stench to God. He not only can not countenance sin, but it is completely offensive to him. Think of it. We were made in the image of God, and that's true whether you're saved or not. You know, we're all made in one image, in the image of God. And we all have a sense, don't we, of right and wrong. Everybody has that, whether you're saved or not. I could ask the question tonight, if uh, somebody should get up and murder somebody else, we would all stand up in absolute horror and say, that, no, that would be a terrible thing. If there was an act of adultery, we would say, that's a terrible thing. If there's a lie told, we'd say, that's terrible. If there's covetousness and envy, we know all these things. We would all be in horror whether somebody is saved or not. And that's because we're all made in the image of God. But you see, those who have been made to mourn their sin will be comforted. But they are firstly mourning at the fact that God has been grieved at their sin. Secondly, they mourn because of the sinfulness of sin. When you consider sin, it's not just an act, is it? But there's so much behind sin. We, we were talking this afternoon in fellowship about how one sin seems to permeate all other sins. And what is that? It's pride. The scarlet crimson of pride runs through every sin. And runs through every human being, my friends. We said, why does somebody lie? Well, it's to either not look so bad, or to cover up another lie, isn't it? Or to appear to be better than you really are. And that is, you are just wanting to promote yourself. And when you look at that, you say, oh, how ugly! How disgusting is that? How can I be such a self-centered being? And there are different forms of pride, aren't there? When you parade yourself before the world, whatever way it might be, it might be some material object that you have that you use to promote yourself before the rest of the world and say, oh, here I am, look at me. Look at my success. What is behind that? 
nothing but self-centeredness. And you have effectively become your own little God. And you've ignored the God of the universe that's keeping you alive and giving you air to breathe. There's nothing wrong with having things. But when you give yourself the glory for all that you have, that's a terrible thing. You begin to look and to examine your sin. You see, the Christian is rightly a very introspective person. Always looking within and examining the why did I why did I say that? He may go to bed at night. Why did I say that? I, I'm embarrassed over this or that. Why did I say that? You see, he's troubled in his mind because he, he wants to be right with God. And that's not a wrong introspection, is it? That's a good and a healthy one. Of course, don't lose too much sleep over it. But pray, God will reveal why you're uncomfortable. But you see, as you're thinking about sin, it's God that is at work in the heart of the person, making them to feel the sinfulness of sin. That's very important, isn't it? You know, we read, don't we, in the Proverbs, that fools make a mock at sin. That is, they take it lightly. And they make out as if it's just a, a slip of the tongue. You know, you hear people say that. Well, oh, I fell on the wrong side of the law. I did a silly thing. Rather than just owning up to the fact that there was so much more behind their sin. And that's somebody who, who mourns. The, the whole, my friend, let me say, of the life when you begin to follow God is one of mourning. But it's a good mourning. It's a blessed mourning. Because you begin to examine your heart. And in through that, you begin to change. As you ask God for help and grace. But there's another reason why they mourn. They not only mourn because God has been grieved at their sin. And because of the sinfulness and the acridness and the dirtiness of sin. But they mourn because of the death of the Lord Jesus. That he had to die for their sin. That's what they mourn at. They realize, you see, God is absolutely pure. And that there was no other way conceivable that he could deal with their sin than to die for those people. And so that when they sin, they say, well, that's, that's what took my Savior to the cross. And that's why he went to the cross. Because that's what God thinks of my sin. And that was the just punishment of my sin. And Christ bore it. And, and then they mourn again. They mourn because they, they hunger and they thirst after righteousness. But they realize they do not attain it. They mourn. Because they long to be like Christ. And really that's what we are told in these passages here. That they will be comforted. Why? Because the Savior has come into the world. To preach the gospel, the gospel which is in his name, the gospel which he died to procure by his own shedding of his own blood, by the giving of his life as a ransom for many, that self-same gospel, it would never be good news, friends. It would never be the gospel without Jesus Christ, would it? It is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
that he gave his life for such people that see their sin. And uh, as we notice there, he has come to proclaim to the meek, that is the humble, the lowly, and to bind up the brokenhearted. They will be bound up. And you see, these people are brokenhearted. And to proclaim the liberty to the captives. Well, what does God do when he saves? He's called the Son who sets free, isn't he? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And this is what God is doing through the morning. Let me say, through the morning, he's setting you free. You see, you've, you've come to a point where you realize sin is troublesome. Not only to God. Of course, God deals with our sin in Christ. But it's troublesome in our own lives. And it makes us now feel very uncomfortable. Are you blessed, friend? How does sin make you feel? Do you feel at ease with sin? It's not a good thing if you are at ease with sin. And they mourn, as I said, because they want to be more like Christ. Now, let me say this. The church is not some group of people who excuse their sin and other people's sins. It's true, isn't it? Blessed are they that mourn. Some churches you can't talk about sin. Don't mention sin from the pulpit. It makes people feel very uncomfortable. My Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. And they mourn because they want to please God and they realize they don't. And Christians are not just a group of people who come together and excuse sin. You know, there are many people, you've heard this said, and I've mentioned it a few times. Oh, well, let's not talk about sin. Everybody sins. Remember what I mentioned about being prickly. You know, when somebody mentions something to us, we don't feel we've got to change the subject quickly. Right? And of course, we always want to do that. When things are centered on us, we want to change the subject because it's rather uncomfortable, isn't it? When we're speaking about ourselves and our sin, let's change the topic, please. Rather than confess and say, my dear brother, I'm sorry I've been such a poor witness to you and everybody else, you see. The church is not a place, friends, where we excuse our sin, is it? But we confess our sins. James says, that we are to confess our sins one to another. That's if we've sinned against somebody. It doesn't mean to say that, you know, if you've done some terrible things in your life, you have to tell everybody your dark, hidden secrets. It's not what he's saying, James. But he's saying, look, if we have sinned against our brother, confess it. You see, that engenders a lovely and wonderful atmosphere, doesn't it? That there's no pride. God's people are not proud over their sin. And you know, you, you can get some people, and maybe you've met some people like this, who are very proud to tell you about their wicked past. And there's nothing good about that, is there? To glory in one's iniquities, as it were. And somehow they, they're a better Christian, because they have been taken out of deeper depths than you have. My friends... The sinful heart is so wicked. And we have to be careful. 
don't we? When sin comes to us, we speak very humbly about ourselves and very graciously about God, don't we? Blessed are they that mourn. They mourn with inward smart at their own sin. And the Lord says here, He will heal up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. You see, we were once captive to Satan and to sin. Remember what the Lord Jesus said? He who sins is a slave to sin. But if you're mourning over sin, you're not going to be a slave to it anymore, are you? Because my friend, once that mourning begins, it doesn't stop. Let me say that. The Christian life is not one day you decide to mourn and have a day of mourning. My unbelieving friends, I must tell you this. Because I've heard it even said by some, they say, you know, there was a day I mourned. And it seems to be the last day that they ever mourn. But every day of the Christian is one of mourning. You see, it's an ongoing thing in the life, my unbelieving friends. It's not something you just do once, it's an act. And de facto, we're somehow in the kingdom. It, it, it's the ongoing life and tenor of the person that they are mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, ongoing, present, active, continuous, in the life. Yes, that's a wonderful thing. This world, my friend, doesn't mourn over its sin. This mourn is say, this world is saying today, it's a New Year's Day, let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the world. But the Christian says, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether we eat or whether we drink, we're going to do it to the glory of God. We're going to mourn over our sin because God hates sin. And he loves righteousness. And he loves a people of righteousness. These are Christ's people. And he died for them. And he has set them free from the condemning power of the law. How is the Christian set free from the law? Paul says we're no longer under the law. What does that mean? We're no longer under the condemning power of the law. We no longer honor its legal obligations as an acceptance with God. Because Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law. For what? For righteousness. To have a righteousness with God. And Christ has set me free from the condemning powers of the law. From the terrors of the law. As top lady says, from the terrors of the law. They can have nothing to do with me. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Therefore, why would I want to live my own life now? When Christ has lived to earn for me a righteousness and to pay for my debts. Is that how I repay him? To live how I want? Just mourn because I can't serve him better than I am in my life. 
And you know what? We find even when we don't, he still binds up the brokenhearted. Because you'll mourn over that sin. My unbelieving friend, that's what it is to mourn. It's to mourn because God has been grieved at your sin. You mourn because of the sinfulness of sin, the ugliness of it. And you mourn because of the death that the Lord Jesus had to die for the sins of his people. And you mourn because you want to be more like Christ. And again, the church is not some group of people who excuse their sin and say, well, everybody sins anyway. What use is that sin anyway? It's just a small sin in my life. You say, no! Every sin counts to God. Let me say this. If it was just one person that lived on this earth and who committed one sin, the whole earth would have gone to hell. But you know what? That is exactly what happened. We're told death entered through one man, Adam. But the scriptures also tell us that we sinned in Adam because we come from Adam. What makes you think you'd have done any different if you were there in the garden? You have come forth as a sinner too, haven't you? Ever since you were born. But God in his great love sent his son, that his people would mourn. And you know what he says? They will be comforted. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the comfort and the consolation of his people. Simeon, the old man in the temple, in Luke chapter 2, he said, Now, Lord, I have seen thy salvation. He is holding the little baby Lord Jesus in his arms said, Now thy servant may depart in peace, for I have seen thy salvation. It's all summed up in that person, in that life of God's dear Son, who would give his life as a ransom for many. And it mourns our hearts, does it not? But we don't live for him as we do, as we ought to. But we know God is very gracious. Because those that mourn, not only will he comfort, but those that mourn, we're told in the next of the Beatitudes, they hunger and they thirst for righteousness. They want to be more like God. Now I ask you, do you mourn? The proof of it is their inward looking at the heart. And the fact that you mourn, you see, is connected to this one factor. Do you hunger And you thirst to please God, to walk in his ways, not the ways of this world. This world is presently hungering and thirsting after unrighteousness. This world is hungering for everything but God and to live a life consecrated to God. This world has its own God and it's called self. John says the whole world lieth in sin, but not God's people. They have been awakened, and they now mourn. They're brokenhearted, 
over their sin, but they will be comforted. My friend, it's not just what you believe. That's what I began saying, isn't it? But what's going on in there? What's going on in that heart? When we speak of the heart, it's what we call the seat of the emotions. Have you ever been so broken-hearted that you can actually feel your heart wanting to burst? I have. I'm sure you have. You feel the pain. You've had something tragic happen in your life. The loss of a loved one. And you feel like you're going to burst. You're going to break. Well, that was the man in the temple, wasn't it? What was he doing? A short prayer. Couldn't so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. It was smiting his breast because of the pain of his heart. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One man promoting himself, another man saying, God, be merciful. There was a mourning sinner. The Lord Jesus said that man went home justified. Why? Because they that mourn shall find the forgiveness of God. I mean truly mourn. They will find God to be a very gracious and kind God. You mourn over your sins, Christians. Let me tell you this. God is so good. If you truly mourn, He will help you overcome your sin in your life. There is no trial and no difficulty and no sin too great for our God to deal with, is there? There's no weakness in our character that God is not able to deal with. But He will bind up the brokenhearted. He will mend them. And He will bless them. Oh, my unbelieving friend, consider this. Do you mourn over your sin? If you don't mourn now, One day we're told all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will mourn the great coming of the Savior. They will see him. And there will be weeping. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that will be an awful day. But sadly, you know what's even worse? When you consider the plight of the damned, When they enter hell, the Lord Jesus uses a word called perish, and we can use it applied to rubber. You think of rubber perishing on the beach? You ever seen an old tire perishing? In other words, it loses its intended design. It loses its intended elasticity, and it becomes more degraded. And when sinners enter hell, they will become more degraded. They will loathe themselves and they will loathe God ever increasingly. They will become worse. Their enemies will be the devils and his fallen angels. And there will be no friends in heaven 
And it will be a place of everlasting torment. But it will never be a place of mourning over sin. People are going to want to sin more. And you know what? Sin will never bring satisfaction in that lost eternal fire. It's the place where the worm never dieth. And the smoke of their torments go up forever and ever. But blessed are they that mourn now. And if you mourn, God will comfort you. Not just now in this life, but soon he will wipe every tear from your eyes. As you have labored and wrestled over sin, you will enter into his glory and you will never mourn again over a single sin in your life. For you who have believed will be like Christ, and you will be with him forever. Amen.